And on this Memorial Day, there are a number of memories that we can have. Obviously, the first is that for which Congress set aside Memorial Day. In memory of those who gave their life in fighting for our freedom. In the late 1970s, Judy and I traveled to Hawaii. And one of the places we visited was the Arizona Memorial, which is the resting place of 1,102 of the 1,177 sailors and Marines who were killed on USS Arizona during that attack on Pearl Harbor. It was a moving scene. But we were more impressed and moved by what is called the punch bowl. The punch bowl sits up on top of one of the mountains. It is the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific. It serves as a memorial to honor those men and women who served in the United States Armed Forces during four wars and who have given their lives doing so. As we looked upon that place, with the numerous white grave markers, it really moved us to thinking. But even that's even though that's the main purpose of Memorial Day. Probably most of us also remember loved ones and friends who have died. My mother and dad and my sister and her husband are buried in Cave Hill Cemetery in Louisville, Kentucky. It's a beautiful maintained cemetery with a lot of plants and trees rolling over a series of hills. A very restful place. I had a friend, O.D. White, who was a funeral director. And one day he had a funeral and he was leading the funeral procession to the cemetery. He got to talking to the preacher and he sort of forgot just where he was going. He turned in the front gate of Cave Hill Cemetery. And he no sooner turned in than he remembered this isn't where the burial is. So the next few moments he was troubled over how am I going to explain this? He got to the correct cemetery, parked his car, jumped out of his car, quickly walked over to the family car and opened the door. And he said, I'm sure you're wondering just why we did what we did. He said, I know you've had a rough time over the last few days. 
And I just thought it would be a very peaceful drive for you through Cave Hill Cemetery. Among notables buried there are the explorer George Rogers Clark, Muhammad Ali, and the well-known Kentucky Colonel Sanders. But even though, although those are the things we normally think of on Memorial Day, each Lord's Day we have a memorial which should be very pertinent to us. It's the remembrance and reenactment of a story. The gospel story of how God and Jesus frees us from slavery and incorporates us into a new kingdom. Because Christ and his cross are the center of our faith, the Lord's Supper is a very central portion of our worship. Every Sunday we participate in this symbolic meal together as a reminder of what Christ has done for us by his death on the cross and of the reality that he still lives because of his resurrection from the dead. A gentleman by the name of Steve Pfeiffer wrote this. Basically, when we receive the emblems of the Lord's life and death, these things are happening. We are giving thanks to him and doing so with excellence. His sustaining grace is flowing into us as we obey and honor him. We are communing with him, participating in his life and victory, eagerly anticipating his return. We are experiencing a renewal of the Lord's covenant with us. His promises are renewed, and we renew our promises to him. And lastly, he is revealed to us in the breaking of the bread. The Holy Spirit shows us our Lord in vivid reality. This makes the moment that you and I participate in each Lord's Day. When we gather around his table. A time that we should spend in serious meditation. Concentrating upon his death on the cross for us. A scripture that's often used to prepare us for the Lord's Supper is found in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. This morning I'm going to read those verses from the NIV. Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Jesus took the bread. He broke it and said, this is my body. Then he took the cup, the fruit of the vine, grape juice, and said, this is my blood. Brothers and sisters, when you hold that bread in your hand, it should become to you the broken body of Jesus Christ. Likewise, when you hold that cup in your hands, it should become the shed blood of Jesus, a most sacred moment in our life. Now with that comment, I'm not suggesting that transubstantiation takes place as taught by some. Those who hold that view suggest that the substance or the reality of the bread is changed into into the actual blood of Christ and the substance of the wine into his Actual blood. Neither am I suggesting that consubstantiation takes place as held by others. That during the sacrament, the fundamental substance of the body and blood of Christ are present along the substance of the bread and wine which remain present. But I am suggesting that when we hold that bread and that cup in our hand for the sake of remembering his sacrifice, ceremonially it is the body, it is the blood of our Lord. And it calls for reverence and sacredness of the moment. It calls for more than a quick consumption of the emblems with little thought given to its meaning. In one church in which I served, we had two ladies that sat in the front of the church. 
When the emblems were passed, they quickly, in a few moments, consumed them and immediately went into conversation with each other. Every Sunday. I preached this sermon in that church, or a similar sermon, and the same thing happened. They took the emblems, quickly partook of it, and immediately started visiting. I reworked that sermon this week. I would think that any experience any of us might have had of eating and eating the bread or drinking the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner would not be that blatant. But I would suggest that probably in each of our lives there are some times that we allow our minds to stray away from discerning the body of Christ. That is, to get away from keeping our minds on that sacrifice. It probably, at times, has happened to all of us. During the Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples... And as they did eat, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, One of you shall betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? Just to be careful. In this matter of keeping our minds upon his death. Perhaps it would be well for us to thoroughly consider. Is it I who lets my mind wander? We need to recognize his presence, for indeed he is here with us every Lord's Day. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am also. He also said, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We will be drawn back to this meal time and time again until the master returns. A songwriter wrote the song where he raised the question, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And were you there when they nailed him to the cross? No, we weren't there when it actually happened. But Paul tells us that every time that we partake of that bread and drink of that cup, we are, at the, we are at the foot of the cross. Dare we let our minds 
move to anything else but Christ on the cross? Be assured, during the Lord's Supper, Satan is going to be busy. He's going to try to divert our thoughts away from the cross by bringing up things in our mind, what we're going to have for dinner, what we're going to do this afternoon, what our schedule is going to be for the next week, what we ought to tell the person next to us, anything to get us away from the cross. At that moment, we need to say to Satan, as Jesus said to Peter when Peter suggested that Jesus would never be crucified. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You are stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. From the time that we are led to the foot of the cross, by the thoughts of the one with the communion meditation, until the man collects those extra cups, we should remain there at the foot of the cross. We need to be aware that the person near us may still be meditating upon the cross. When Jesus was in the garden praying before his crucifixion, he took Peter, James, and John to the garden with him for support. He asked them, pray with me. They fell asleep on him. Jesus went back and found them asleep and said to them, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? I can imagine Jesus saying to me at times during communion, can't you keep your mind upon my death for 10 minutes? And I dare say that probably to most of us also. Paul continues, you must never let familiarity breed contempt. There are those who have communion in their church once a month or even once a quarter. The reason is that if you have it every week, it simply becomes routine or just a ritual. It becomes too common. It loses its significance. But I would suggest that anything can become routine or common if you let it. Kissing your husband or wife daily can become a whole hum routine if you let it. Putting your hand over your heart and repeating the Pledge of Allegiance can just become routine and just words pouring over our mouth if we let it. Hugging your kids can become a routine 
if you let it. So the message of this sermon is with the Lord's Supper. Don't let it become routine or common. If we simply eat of that bread and partake of that cup and fail to take time to meditate over significance, we face the prospect of a weakening faith, failing to take in the strength we gain by communing with our Lord and with our fellow Christians. There's a vertical and horizontal aspect to our time of communion. On the vertical level we, are, level, we are connecting with God. And on the horizontal level, we're relating in unity with our fellow Christians. Paul chastised the Corinthians for their lack of unity and suggests that bonding and unity is, is emphasized during the Lord's Supper. Often we preachers are guilty of telling Christians what they should be doing. But then we fail to tell them how to go about it. I've been telling you that as Christians we need to spend the time of communion concentrating on the meaning of the moment. As I've said earlier, this is hard to do. So I'm going to make some suggestions to you how to do it. Troy and Lisa, will you hand those out, please? (laughs) 